quick update. My <laughs> blender broke recently. And That's annoying. It's probably from overuse and because it was ancient. And <laughs> so, we love an ancient kitchen <laughs> utensil. Can you just picture it like those ones that are off white colored with like orange? Oh buttons. my god, yes, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Not the orange buttons, dude. <laughs> yeah, so now that it is gone, rest in peace. Um, RIP. I want to replace it with something that's more convenient, not as bulky, and that's where the Blendjet 2 comes in. Hell yeah. The Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach, mm-hmm. which is exactly how I plan to use it. <laughs> of it's course. small enough <laughs> to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. The Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, or in my case, my morning margarita. (laughs) (laughs) For 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. Um, They have a ton of cool colors and patterns. Definitely need to add the Lisa Frank one to my cart ASAP because that just is such a cute, nostalgic blast from the past. Of course. Yep. So you can blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. And to get one for yourself, go to blendjet.com and use our code, which is ggs 12 and you'll get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Aw, oh, yeah. Welcome, Welcome everyone. Welcome to Girls Gone Spooky. Girls Gone Spooky. <laughs> oh, that was good. Um, I'm Olivia. <laughs> and I'm Amy. <laughs> Thank and God you're not an imposter. Oh, yeah. It's really me. Um, it is really you. Um, well, this is going to be our holiday part two episode. Um, and a couple things. One, as we said last week, we're doing a continuation of our scary stories readout. And I think we're really going to maximize other stat holidays to (laughs) continue with this trend because it's just like fun and kind of breaks up Mm -hmm. our normal programming a little bit. Um, which hopefully you guys like, if you like Mm -hmm. it, let us know if you don't like it also let us know and we can just revert back to our normal stuff. But, um, obviously we're still going to resume to, to our normal topics starting next week until probably MLK day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in the meantime, I have a holiday since it's technically still the holidays, Mm -hmm. still 2022. Happy new year. Um, I have a holiday-themed joke. Oh, let's hear it. It's it's a quickie. It's a quickie. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the gingerbread man hurt his knee, and so he went to the doctor. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, well, have you tried icing it? (laughs) Come on. That's a good one. It's good. Oh, shit. It's a good one. I have this... Uh, I have this Pilates instructor who I go to when I'm at my dad's house sometimes. And um, she just always has like cute little quick jokes. <laughs> and um, that one was so funny because my dad has like not great, a, a not great knee. Mm-hmm. And so she says that at the beginning of the class. And then at one point she's like walks over. This is like 30 minutes later, walks back to him and asks him something like, oh, how is this for your knee? And like kind of giving mm-hmm. him a correction. And she goes, also, have you tried asking <laughs> That's funny. That's a cute one. It's a cute one. I there's like that. there's un, not quite as funny one that's also cute though. Um what kind of music do elves listen to? Mm, I don't know. Rap. <laughs> that's so obvious once you say it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's um, I I'm just realizing it's like the peak of anxiety to feel 
nervous that I'm not going to understand someone's joke. Oh, yeah. The first time she said the rap joke, I like actually didn't get it at first. Mm -hmm. And I was very confused. And then I was like, (laughs) rap. And I was like, oh, like (laughs) presence. Yes. (laughs) Fool. Um, It really is peak anxiety though. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, if you wonder if you have anxiety, that's a good test. (laughs) Truly. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you are up first this week. Um, I just want to, I was like trying to potentially get the part two through five of the David story, the summer I met David. David. Oh my God. (laughs) You promised us and you already broke your promise. (laughs) Okay. David. Jesus, dude. Okay. I've literally been reading through the whole thing thinking, David. David. (laughs) I think it's because I almost have Alexis from Schitt's Creek in my head going, David. David. Yeah. Ew, David. David. You're being creepy, David. Um, But I've decided that why rush it? Like, let's just do part two today because it's long. And yes, he writes or she writes with a lot of detail, but – who cares? You know, we've yeah. got plenty of holidays upcoming, so mm-hmm. y'all can wait. Yeah. Um, and it's then you have like the fresh one-off stories <laughs> and then I'll have the series and yes. that's, I feel like balance as well. So okay. with that, I'm going to shut don't... the hell up. Okay. <laughs> Quiet down. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Pipe down, Olivia. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> okay. I have two. And let's see, one is like a three-parter. So if we like it, I could continue it. Um, Hell yeah. It stands alone pretty well. Um, Okay, but this first one is just a one-off one. It's by J-A-J-E-H on Reddit. And it's called New Year's Eve 2011, My Eerie Start to 2012. Okay. Oh, that's a good yeah. one given it's like yeah. New Year. <laughs> I know. I, oh, yeah. I forgot to say that. They both are. I tried to find oh, New cute. Year's themed ones. Oh, yay. Yeah. Okay. So he says, or she says, I didn't have much planned on New Year's Eve. My friend Aaron was having a family party, so he invited me and two other friends to join in. Me, Aaron, Nat, and Anthony are chilling in his basement. At around 9.30, Aaron gets a text from a number he doesn't recognize. It says, yo, I'm outside. (laughs) So he goes outside (laughs) to check and finds that no one's there. He comes down and asks if we have that number in our phones and none of us do. A little while after, Nat gets a text from the same number. It says, yo, I'm outside. She replies, where are you? And then she gets a text back saying, turn around. Oh, <laughs> yuck! I hate that. Right. Yeah. So, uh. yeah, we were all in the basement together, and clearly no one was behind her. So we figured that someone was trying to prank us. And keep in mind, they're all together, or at least that's the picture right. I'm getting. So it's not like one yeah. of them is secretly texting right. these things. So, right. Um. At around ten forty-five, I get the text. Yo, I'm outside. From the same number. So now I'm really curious and I want to figure out who this person is. I text back, all right, I'm coming out. I promptly get a text back saying, I'm already inside. (laughs) Then why'd you say you're outside, bitch? Right. Yeah. He's playing mind games. Yeah. Fast forward to around 1210. We're upstairs with everyone else watching the NBC New Year's show. I decide to text this person, Happy New Year, love you, XOXO. (laughs) Great idea. (laughs) Yeah, poke the bear, why don't you? Yeah. Uh I did this just to get some sort of reaction, hoping they'd reveal themselves, but I got no reply until around one, and I'm sitting on my friend's couch playing games on my phone. It said, I'm waiting by your car. I didn't think too much of it. I just texted back, what's my license plate number? (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) 
It took a few minutes to get a reply which said, you drive a Honda, right? Big deal. Lots of people drive Hondas. Around 1.30, I'm putting on my shoes to leave and I get another text. I'm ready to leave now, are you? (laughs) Now, I can't lie. That was a timely text, so I got a little rattled. But I put on my shoes and went out the door. I had to drop I thankfully his friends are still there. Okay, good. good. (laughs) I had to drop off Anthony and Nat, so they're together. Um, So we walked to my car, and before going in, we checked the back seats and the surrounding area. Nothing in sight. We get in the car. Here's where things get creepy. Now, I could have. Oh, now they're gonna get creepy. (laughs) I know that's what I was thinking. (laughs) It's already creepy. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have made a three-point turn. And drove out the way I came in, but I was too lazy to reverse. I drove straight, thinking that I knew the area well enough to make the proper turns to get out. I ended up making a right turn prematurely, and I quickly realized I made the wrong turn. (laughs) It's a confusing way to write that. Um, My phone vibrated in my jacket pocket, and I got a text. You're going the wrong way. No! (laughs) I was shook. I stopped on the side of the road. (laughs) I was shook. (laughs) That's the kind of delivery we need. (laughs) Shook. I was shook. I stopped on the side of the road. (laughs) I wasn't lost or anything. I'm in the suburbs after all. I just made the wrong turn. I stayed put until a couple of cars passed me. I turned to the back seat and asked if Nat or Anthony were playing around and they said they have no idea what's going on. So I try to put that behind me and continue driving. We come to a stop sign where we have to make a turn onto the main road. Anthony's house is on the left. I decide to turn right. As I'm driving, Anthony says, what the hell are you doing? I tell him, I just want to see what happens. I drive about a kilometer up and turn into an empty parking lot in a plaza. I do a big circle and then come out the way I came in. I'm a little relieved at this point, so I pull out and head towards Anthony's house, and then my pocket vibrated again. Stop with the detours. I'm still here. (laughs) Here it is again. I was shook. (laughs) Oh, my God. No. (laughs) They're still shook. Are they in the trunk? Like, where are they? This is kind of a not satisfying end because... Okay, 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 okay. But, okay, this writer was shook. I turned off my phone and left it at that. I didn't drive all the way home. I asked if I could chill at Anthony's for a bit, but I ended up sleeping over. What creeped me out was the timeliness of all the texts. But what sealed the deal was the punctuation and grammar... I know that sounds silly, but my friends don't text like that. But, so, they, but it said, yo, yo, yeah, I'm outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the rest are like, you are going the wrong way, period. Oh, okay. I'm ready to leave now, comma. Are you like, yeah, yeah correct grammar. So that one, I don't know. It showed up because I was looking specifically for New Year's stories. And that yeah. one showed up on every single one of the like compilations and it's creepy but I feel like it could just be a prank yeah but but you'd okay it's like you know when I first started driving so I can't remember it was like either in a training or something that was like about women driving alone specifically like safety Mm -hmm. measures and Mm -hmm. one of the things was like if you think someone's following you take four right turns and if they're still Mm -hmm. following you the fucking following you. Because yeah. um, obviously you just end up right back where you started. But if it's nighttime, like you'd see someone driving behind you, especially if you're right. going, like, you know, he went on a detour like that to see if someone was following him, right? right. Or you would assume or her, or whatever. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. it makes me feel like there was someone hiding in his trunk. <sighs> yeah. Because if they were in the trunk with the GPS on. Right. They would know. Ew, dude. Yeah, and they knew what kind of car they drove. Yeah. Mm. You drive a Honda, right? Yeah. (laughs) They're just waiting in the trunk of the wrong Honda. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Such a common common make. (laughs) Yeah. 
have a Honda Civic. There's like five on one road. Yeah. (laughs) All the same color. Yeah. (laughs) But thought I'd share that one. Oh, I like that. That was good. Okay. Now I have part one of, I think, three parts so far. And this one is still coming out because it's about this New Year's Eve. (gasps) So, yeah. Okay. It's by The Eagle Strikes on Reddit. (laughs) and (laughs) it's called in eight days i will wake up in 1999 and relive the past 23 years so Uh, this was written what eight days before new year's eve of this year okay um okay i'm trapped in a perpetual groundhog day but it's more than a day The world feels a little grislier with every reset. I've always known that some sort of higher power was the architect of my eternal torture. What other explanation could there be? But I no longer simply know of that power. I've seen it. Let me rewind. I'm used to doing that after all. I don't know how many times I've relived the past two decades, enough times to slowly go insane. I've done some crazy shit in a manic attempt to break free. I actually thought I could end the cycle by altering the course of the future. During the present iteration, I haven't really bothered. I'm tired. So you're experiencing the natural course of events, I suppose. Let's just say there was an iteration in which I invested wisely, became a billionaire, and spent my riches on changing the landscape of the world. That's nice. Um, (laughs) I even paid extraordinary amounts of money to scientists who promised they could uncover the secrets of the universe. I thought they could fix whatever had happened to me. The problem is that I don't think they ever truly believed my story. They didn't really, yeah, I wouldn't either. (laughs) They didn't really try to understand how a time loop would work. So their research was half-hearted. Nobody has ever been able to save me. And before anybody asks, death is not the answer. It just resets the loop. I find myself waking up on the morning of December 31st, 1999. I celebrate the commencement of a new millennium with my family, and we admire the fireworks. At this point, of course, I've probably lived for a millennium. The horror of waking up in my 13-year-old body with a 36-year-old mind never fades. Or maybe I'm 3,600 years old? Who knows? I'm certainly not counting. Anyway, I always detest reliving those teenage years. I pretend to be a normal kid and blend in with my peers. A few months after the first reset, I managed to calm myself down and seize the opportunity to make better decisions. Maybe it's a second chance, I decided. I took care of my health. I married the same girl but I was a better husband and managed to prevent the divorce. I spent more time with our kids. I was a better version of myself. As December 31st of 2022 approached for the second time, I thought I'd done what the universe wanted me to do. You can imagine my unbridled terror when the loop reset, and that's when the penny dropped. I'm stuck. Madness ensued. Four resets later, I tried killing myself. That didn't work. I tried hundreds of times in hundreds of ways, no luck. So I've given up and resigned myself to this hellish existence. During every fresh iteration, however, I do try something new. I have to attempt to save myself, right? This time, I've posted about my experience on Reddit. (laughs) That's new. (laughs) I'm reaching out for help. Maybe I haven't fully given up. I might say otherwise, but my actions speak louder than my words. I mean, I have to be honest, I've never gone completely wild. I've never completely ruined my life. I've stripped naked and run through the local park, but I've never, say, robbed a bank. I can't risk Mm -hmm. doing something life-destroying. What if the loop has ended? Every time I reach December of this year, I start to wonder that. It's what keeps me from entirely unhinging and doing something foolish. I don't want to endure this infinite torture. I guess I still believe that I can break through break free of the cycle. I believe in January 1st, 2023. I'm sure all of you will see it. Surely when that day arrives, I'll have discovered a way to move beyond the loop. 
Eventually, I have to make it to next year, right? What's the alternative? I can't seem to die, after all. Well, that's what I used to believe. After a certain number of resets, I began to notice something disquieting. It started during one particular December of 2022. I noticed something watching me. Oh, oh, that gave me chills. That gave me total chills. Wow, wow, wow. We're, it's getting juicy. Yeah. It always happens during this final month. For instance, I might stroll down the road and catch glimpses of something in my peripheral vision. On street corners, I've seen a man with eyes that have no pupils. That's not all. I've heard things that other people say they can't hear. There are shushing noises with no source. I wake up in the night, bathing in a pool of sweat, assured that I've spotted glassy pinpricks in the darkness. Sometimes they rapidly vanish, as if the thing has closed its eyelids to avoid detection. Other times, the eyes linger, hovering in front of me. The thing seems to be getting bolder, and that haunts me. Last week, I was in an art gallery, and I saw a terrifying painting. My wife and friends said it was beautiful. They couldn't comprehend why I suddenly had a gaunt complexion. I suppose it would seem like an odd reaction. After all, the painting simply depicted an ordinary man. But I felt as if I'd take a stroll, taken a stroll through the uncanny valley. His eyes were dreadful. Something about him was marginally off. And for the briefest moment, the gallery light caught the painted eyes in such a way that the pupils disappeared. I found mm. myself staring into the vacant eyes from various street corners and my darkened bedroom. They were boring into my skull. I whimpered in terror. The worst part is that I've been to the art exhibit before. On December 10th, 2022, my wife and friends always dragged me there. That painting wasn't there in any of the previous iterations oh. of this loop. <laughs> in that exact spot, there had been a painting of Big Ben proudly displaying 11 o'clock. And that's something which petrifies me. It means things are changing, and I don't think they're changing for the better. I have considered letting go. My fight is fading. Perhaps I should embrace the entity with open arms. Perhaps it has come to release me from this nightmare. It could offer a finite death and put an end to the loop. But what if it delivers a worse fate? Every time I see the glassy-eyed man, I feel my chest coil into a clove hitch. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is either. <laughs> Maybe we can look that up and yeah. learn something. He isn't good. He isn't trying to save me. I need to figure out how to reach January 1st, 2023. And that's the end. It's a kind of knot, a clove hitch. Yeah. Oh, a kind of knot. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. That's really creepy. And I feel like, oh, it's it's creepy <laughs> because like, what if we all are going to experience that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when none of us are going to see January 1st. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking. Because we That's really creative. Yeah. I mean, as far as we know, we've never made it to the 31st or to January right. 1st, 2023. First. So we could wake up the morning after in 1999. Oh my God. That'd I would, be we'd be six years old. Yeah. Oh. I'm good. I don't need to relive those years. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> no, but yeah, I don't think, would you change anything? <laughs> what would your new year's resolution for 23 years be? Oh God. Um, <laughs> probably like to stand up for myself like mm -hmm. I just don't think I did that until I was like kind of grown like college yeah. probably mm -hmm. um that's a good one yeah what about you mm, probably something similar but I still don't yeah. do that so <laughs> um could learn that earlier <laughs> But yeah. I also always wonder, because I feel like my first two years of college, I was just messing around. Like, I didn't pay attention <laughs> very much. And yeah. I wonder what my life would be like if I had actually dedicated myself like I should have. Yeah. But, I mean, I had a good time, so. Yeah. I also <laughs> wonder that, too, like, if I had 
like not listen to my college counselor in high school and like pursued a science degree, like would mm-hmm. I have liked it? Like, right. you know, where would I be now? But mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a moot point, right? And like, I'm yeah. happy with my life, so it's fine. <laughs> Unless we wake up in 1996. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> then we have oh. another chance, but I'll hunt yeah. you down if anything. Yeah, I will fully changes. hunt you down. I <laughs> yeah. mean, we could just, we'll just agree. Freshman mm-hmm. year, Cal Poly Slow, Trinity mm-hmm. dorm. Yes. Sounds good. Excellent. <laughs> See you then. Okay. Um, That's a good one. I do. Okay. I, I do think you should continue that series. Okay. Because that's very fun. Yeah. Okay. I haven't read the other two parts, so it'll be a surprise for everyone. A surprise. Surprise. Um. Amy, you know, I'm not um, super big into New Year's resolutions because I feel like the things we always commit to for resolutions should just be things we commit to the whole year. So I've been trying to get back into weightlifting recently um, and I've started using protein shakes again and shaker bottles simply blow. Uh, The protein is always so clumpy and I feel like a total idiot using the thing, like shaking it like a shake weight in the middle of the gym. So I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender because it makes perfectly blended protein shakes in 20 seconds. Yeah, that's amazing. So BlendJet 2, it's portable, like Olivia said. So you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach, which is always good. (laughs) Um, BlendJet, it's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to get through tough ingredients like ice, frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is also whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. You just have to blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. And that actually is a big deal because washing blenders is so annoying. Oh my God, a literal nightmare. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the easy clean is a great feature about BlendJet 2. Hell yeah. I'm also super into like, pop like because you know I I'm someone who wears black like all black mm-hmm. almost all the time I'm a very neutral gal and I'm looking down at my outfit right now <laughs> black shirt black pants black shoes but Dang. I'm very much into like a really uh-huh. really bright pop of color so I'm very into like hot pink and bright orange and I'm yeah. currently obsessed with the bright orange color they have on their site mm-hmm. with a ton of other colors also and designs cute like you know, partnership ones with Disney and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no other portable blender on the market that comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. So go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GGS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Okay, is it my turn? It's your turn. Yes, Okay. So as a reminder of what happened last time on the summer I met David, um, so it's a little, it's a little girl. Yeah. Little girl. Mm -hmm. She's the youngest. I think she's the youngest and the only sister in the family of boys. And she goes to play alone under this bridge area where she's like, not supposed to be alone. She meets this little boy, David whose dad is some sort of like, it sounds like migrant worker of some Mm -hmm. kind. And they become super fast friends. Um, It's very unclear at the end of part one, if he was an imaginary friend Mm -hmm. or if something else was maybe mimicking him in some way. Um, Because, you know, there's like a, a, a couple creepy situations with like very poisonous or venomous animals where, David insists it's fine, even though the little girl knows it's certainly not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents kind of find out at one point and then freak out. And she and David go running off into a cornfield. Her brother follows. And then finally, her brother catches up to her, grabs her, and then sees something terrifying. And it turns out a little bit later, we find out that that terrifying thing was David or something that looks like a drawing that the little girl did of David, but mm-hmm. with no eyes, which is... Yeah. Very creepy. Very. So we're picking up part two of five total. 
The couple days after my ordeal with Jack and David in the cornfield left me feeling broken and hollow. I had a million questions, but as it turned out, no one was willing to even speak of my friend. My mother acted as though it hadn't happened at all. I asked her some question about how she spoke to him if she'd never seen him, and she'd shush me. It was the single most frustrating experience of my life. Dad got really quiet. He hardly talked to anyone unless he absolutely had to, and he always looked tired, always raggedy and worn out. I found out about a week after our escape from the field that dad was sleeping on the porch with a loaded shotgun at his side. He didn't buy Jack's story of David's missing eyes. He'd come up with his own theory. Someone was hiding in the cornfield and had tried to kidnap me, and he wanted to make sure they didn't come back. It was a weak theory, one formed on little ground, but he was a religious man grasping at straws, trying not to believe in the monster under the bed. I think Jack's reaction was the worst, though. He went from being an outgoing, loving, wonderful older brother to a complete stranger. He was jittery, anxious, and just a total mess. He mumbled constantly about empty eyes, and he was plagued with nightmares so intense that he'd wake up screaming in the middle of the night. Most of those nights, he would flail about. Twice, he knocked his lamp off the side table, and each time, it caused a thunderous, ear-splitting noise that made my heart jump into my throat. Both times, my parents ran into his room to make sure he was okay. By the third time a loud noise came from his room, neither of my parents checked on him. While they weren't angry with him and while they wanted to help, none of us knew how, so we just ignored it. It probably wasn't the best approach, and I know Jack felt disconnected from the family. Looking back, I wish I'd found a way to reach out to him in his time of need. Johnny and Jim became distant, though not in the same way as Jack. And as a reminder, Johnny got pushed down the stairs by someone, and he, you know, we think maybe David. Right. Um, But they became distant on purpose, never staying in the room with anyone but each other for very long. They grew unbelievably close and began to watch movies with each other almost every night. Usually they were superhero themed, their favorites being Superman and Batman. While they weren't thrilled with being around the rest of the family, they made it clear that they'd rather die than be in the same room as me. In the end, I'd finally gotten the answer I'd craved from the two of them. They'd been in the living room watching Superman 2 when I climbed up on the couch. Johnny scowled at me, but I pretended not to notice. My six-year-old frame fidgeted on the couch as I waited for a good point on the movie to speak. After what seems like years, there was a lull in the action. So seizing the moment, I turned to my brothers. My stomach flipped with nervousness, but I pressed on anyway. How else was I going to get answers if not through them? Mom and dad weren't going to tell me anything, and asking Jack anything right now seemed cruel. How'd mom talk to David if he wasn't there? I asked, proud of myself for keeping my voice to <laughs> proud of myself for keeping my voice steady. Johnny glared over to me, his lip curled in a sneer. I shrank back, suddenly very worried that my question might result in a physical repercussion. I'd been hit once by Johnny and wasn't eager for a repeat. She didn't talk to him, stupid, he hissed, his voice flat and cold. You were playing a game. She just played along. Don't you remember when Jim had an imaginary friend and mom and dad talked to him too? Yeah, Jim sneered. At least mine was normal. It was just a dog and I knew it was fake. I'd lifted my arm in protest, brandishing the massive bruise along my forearm. Does this look fake? I demanded. My eyes narrowed in absolute hate. Johnny's face twisted into a hateful glare. His teeth gritted tightly together and my heart fell. I tried to scramble away, but I wasn't fast enough. Something hard hard collided against my back, sending me crashing against the pale living room carpet. Pain bloomed along my side and arms, and I turned around. My brothers wobbled and became stored as I watched them through tears. Get out of here, freak, Johnny hissed. I'm so mean she's six. <laughs> I know. I picked, but I mean, they're all scared. So that's kind yeah. of, I guess. Mama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I picked myself up and did as, did as I was told, wiping tears away from my eyes with the sleeve of my shirt. I cried that night, like most nights after David's disappearance. Despite knowing it was wrong because of all the pain he'd caused my family, I missed him. He'd been my best friend. He'd made me feel better when Johnny broke his arm, and I knew he'd make me feel better about Johnny pushing me. My six-year-old mind wasn't capable of understanding what was going on. I couldn't believe that David, who had seemed so very real to me, was imaginary. I couldn't accept that no one else could see him. I couldn't understand why Jack was so sad and frightened. My loyalty to my best friend hadn't faltered. I was positively convinced at the time that David hadn't meant any harm. I fully believed that he'd only pulled me into the cornfield because he was frightened of my dad. An understandable reaction. My father was scary when he was angry, something that admittedly didn't happen often. At the time, it never crossed my mind that he'd actually tried to kill me twice. I never pieced together that he knew both the Black Widow and the coral coral snake were venomous. The days dragged on and I fell into a deep depression. Eating and sleeping became hard. I was no longer in love with the outdoors and I was actually looking forward to the start of the school year. 
It was a welcome change from being stuck at home all day with siblings who were either broken or completely hated me. And the only person that had remained unchanged by the events was Joey, and he was simply too young to have developed resentful feelings towards me. Our family seemed entirely broken, and I felt that I was to blame. I tried to fix this twice. My first attempt happened at dinner time exactly one week after my escape from the cornfield. I'd waited for everyone to sit down and begin eating before I announced that everything was okay, because David did have eyes. Everyone fell silent. Johnny and Jim glowered at me, and my mother told me that David wasn't appropriate dinner conversation. Jack broke down and left. My dad announced he wasn't hungry and retreated to the back porch. I excused myself and went to my room where I continued to brood, feeling worse for having broken us further. My second and last attempt came the following day. It was Sunday. We were on our way to church, and I suggested, in all my six-year-old wisdom, that we take our concerns to the priest. My father locked on the brakes so hard I thought I might fly clear to the front seat. My my mother glared down at me. I thought Johnny was going to skin me alive the way he stared. Jack cried again, and I was told that I should never tell anyone outside of the family what happened. I decided in that moment that the only way to save our family from this odd sort of destruction was to completely ignore the subject of David entirely. After all, that seemed to be what everyone else wanted. The days bled away, and eventually I had my first nightmare regarding my old friend. In the dream, I was asleep until I felt a light stick prodding at my cheek. I opened my eyes, only to see an eyeless David standing above me. I woke screaming and crying, and when my mother rushed in to see what was wrong, I lied. I told her I'd had a nightmare about being chased by a massive dog. It had been a reoccurring dream for me just last year, and was the sole reason my father had yet to get the German Shepherd he so desperately wanted. She believed me, gave me a kiss, a hug, and told me to curl back up. She reminded me that there weren't any dogs around. I didn't sleep for the rest of that night. The next day, I was greeted with terrible news. Mittens, the barn cat, who had just had a litter of kittens less than two months prior, had gone missing, along with all seven of her babies. My brothers and I spent hours looking for them. We even set traps, arming them with fresh meat and wet cat food. It took a solid three days for Jack to decide that a coyote or a fox must have gotten to them. I was devastated, but I kept my sadness to myself, not wanting to burden anyone in the family with it. I'd leaned over, learned over the course of the last week and a half that no one was interested in my problems. It was the sort of despondent revelation that filled me with a sudden sense of haplessness. My world, once so small and safe, had been shattered, leaving in its wake something ugly and raw. The next few days went on as normal. I took the pictures I'd drawn of David and I, and I threw them away. Without my chatter and the reminders that used to hang from the refrigerator, the family began to feel normal again. Dad started sleeping in bed. Mom stopped walking around with that wide, delusional smile on her face. Jack even had a few days in which he didn't cry, and he even laughed. Johnny and Jim were still distant, but they stopped trying to push me around so much. Joey never changed. He remained the sweet toddler he was, too young to understand much of anything. It was nearly a full two weeks after David had disappeared that our family started to mend. Saturday morning had started as it usually did. Jack, Dad, Jim, Jim, and Johnny were out on the farm doing whatever it is they did. Mom and I were inside. She was washing dishes in the kitchen. Joey was playing on the floor beneath the kitchen table, reciting the colors of his toys to himself. Cute. I was in the living room dusting, my least favorite job. The front door slammed and rapid footfalls echoed in the hallway. I assumed it was Jim, who often sprinted through the hallway, rounding the corner and corner and sliding to a halt in front of mom as she stood at the sink. He'd usually ask her for water or lemonade to bring out to the boys while they worked. I peeked around the corner, bored, and looking for a reason to abandon my post. I hoped mom would ask me to get Jim whatever it was he wanted. And mom must have thought it was Jim too, because she dried her hand and hands and was waiting, leaning against the counter. She stood looking dumbfounded as the footfalls stopped, but no one entered the room. Curiously, she stepped over to the hallway to look. I watched as she paled, blue eyes widening. She wiped her hands nervously on her apron and moved back to the sink. Curiously, I stepped into view. Who is it, mom? I asked. Uh, Jim must have run back outside, she answered. The door only opened once and I never heard footsteps back to it, I countered, the words out of my lips before I could stop them. Mom's lips pressed into a thin line, her eyes shone with an odd mix of fear and anger. What are you supposed to be doing right now? She demanded. I shrank away. Cleaning, I answered, my voice defeated. Then I suggest you get to it, she snapped as she submerged her hand one- hands once more into the soapy water. I spun around intent upon going back to my work before I was yelled at, but a sharp cry of pain caught my attention. My mother pulled her hand back, blood trickled down her hand into the soapy water, staining it red. My eyes widened. Son of a bitch, she shouted. I gasped. I gasped. I'd never heard her swear before. She was such a soft-spoken, sweet woman. It sounds stupid, but I didn't know she knew how to swear. I thought I put all the knives up. 
Quickly keeping pressure on the deep cut along her pointer finger, she rushed out of the kitchen and towards the downstairs bathroom. I could hear her fumble with the medicine cabinet as I walked closer to the sink. The large knife block that my mother kept just to the left of the sink had toppled over, and three knives had fallen into the soapy water. I pulled them each out, careful not to cut myself, rinsed them off, and placed them back in the block. "'Jasmine,' my mother called from the other room. "'Come in here. I need help getting this band-aid open.' I glanced over to Joey, deciding whether or not I should take him with me. I stared at him as he walked from toy to toy. It was too risky to leave him alone. I walked toward him, arms out, trying to get him to come to me. Now, my mother shouted from the bathroom. I jumped and scurried down the hallway, deciding that he couldn't get into much trouble in the few seconds it would take to open a bandage for my mother. I pulled the paper apart and took the protective layer of plastic off before handing the massive bandage to my my mother. She took it and placed it over the top of a huge gash before wrapping it all in what my father referred to as people tape. It was some sort of (laughs) medical tape used to keep water away from bandages and to keep gauze in place. We used it frequently on the farm. I dashed back into the kitchen, my heart beating out of my chest as images of my brother getting past child locks under the sink where we kept the bleach danced through my head. But as I rounded the corner, my eyes landed on the toddler who sat under the table playing with a small blue block. He repeated the word blue over and over, and I smiled, feeling stupid for having been worried. I scolded myself inwardly for being so silly. I'd allowed myself to get stuck, sucked into Jack's delusion. I'd somehow convinced myself that something nefarious was happening when in all reality, Jim had likely come in and run back out and the knives had probably just fallen over. It wasn't until I made it all the way back to the sink, I saw the glowing red dot on the stove. My heart sank. I made my way slowly Mm -hmm. over to it and all the burners had been turned up as high as they could go. Joey was too short to reach it. None of my brothers would have done that. Neither I nor my mother had done it. Nausea swept over me as I crossed the room and turned each of them off. I should have told my mother, but she was visibly shaken from the recent happenings and I didn't want to worry her more. Besides, she was only going to ignore it the same way she had ignored everything else. When she came back into the kitchen, I only gave her a small smile. I'll finish the dishes I offered. Her features softened. Thank you, Jazzy, she answered. I spent the next several hours on edge and jumpy. Suddenly, I was unsure of everything. I couldn't convince myself that David wasn't the entity Jack thought he was. I felt like my eldest brother, constantly looking over my shoulder, waiting for something bad to happen. But hours passed, and nothing happened. Eventually, I managed to put the thoughts out of my mind. Lunch came and went. The boys showered and changed into regular clothes. Joey sat in the kitchen on the kitchen floor with Dad while the two pushed toy cars to one another. Jim and Johnny, Jim, Johnny, Jack, and I, so many J names, Jim, Johnny, Jack, and Jasmine um, sat in the living room. Jack was reading something while the boys and I watched a movie. Johnny had tried to kick me out, but Jack had snapped at him, assured me I could stay. Mom was tending to the garden, happy to have a break from being indoors. Jim, my dad snapped from around the room. What? Jim asked from his place beside Johnny. My father went silent for a long time. The sound of cars sliding against linoleum had entirely ceased. Nearly a full minute of silence passed before my father responded in a small, careful voice. Are you in the living room? He asked. Yeah, Jim answered as he stood up and went to stand in the doorway. He leaned against the frame as he spoke to my dad, who was just out of sight. What? He asked again. Silence. Jim stared into the room expectantly before understanding washed over his features. He stiffened, his eyes widened. Is mom in the bathroom? He asked. Johnny clicked the pause button, familiar streaks of static molded to the screen, interrupting the fight scene between Batman and a villain I didn't recognize. We all fell silent, straining our ears, trying to listen for for whatever it was that had frightened Jim and apparently my father. And finally, I heard it, the sound of the shower running. Jim was infamous for taking too long of showers, which explained why my father had barked at him for it. Maybe it's your mother, dad reasoned. I turned around looking out the window only to find my mother stooped onto the ground, just her hair visible in the grass. My breath hitched. My shower immediate, the shower immediately shut off. The door creaked open. I watched as Jack winced away, trying his best to ignore the exchange and submerge himself in his book. It quacked in his hands. He bit his lower lip. Stay with your brother. My father commanded. I heard him move down the hall toward the bathroom. Jane, he called for my mother. Honey, I looked back again only to find my mother's hair bobbing slowly up and down as she weeded the garden. I knew he wouldn't get a response. The footfalls ended. Who is it, Dad? Jim asked. Silence that seemed to last forever filled the home. No one, Dad answered. I jumped with the sound of his voice, goosebumps rising along my arms. 
I stood up and made my way to the bathroom, shaking off Johnny's protests and squirming past Jim as he tried to physically stop me. I scurried down the hall, skidding to halt beside my father and peeking into the bathroom. The mirror was steamed. The walls were slick with fresh water. The shower curtain had been drawn. My father was looking inside of it. The color had leaked from his face. He took a step back and shooed me out of the room. He closed the door. The shower started again. My father squeezed his eyes shut. I turned around, but he grabbed both my shoulders and pushed me forward with such force that I couldn't have stopped if I tried. We spilled into the kitchen. Dad immediately let me go and barked my brother's names. The toilet flushed. He picked up Joey and informed everyone we were going to town to grab ice cream. Joey clapped and shouted celebratory words. The bathroom door opened. Footfalls padded down the hallway. Jack pushed Jim and Johnny out the door, his whole body trembling as he hurried them along. My father grabbed me by the arm and pulled me outside. His grip never faltered as he drug me forward. The whole while I craned my neck around, trying to get a glimpse of whatever it was. Somehow I convinced myself that it couldn't have been David, that David was definitely a real person, and whatever this was, was different. Dad pulled me outside. The warm air and the stench of the pigs outside hit me. Dad slammed the door and urgently pulled me over to the driveway, gravel crunching beneath my feet. The door swung open. It slammed against the wall with a deafening bang. Jack screamed and immediately grabbed both the boys' arms. He pulled them along as he sprinted toward the car. Ear-shattering crashes erupted into the pseudo-silence. Over and over, the door swung wildly, slamming mm -hmm. shut and bouncing against the wall. Jane, my father shouted as my mother rounded the corner, heading toward the front door. No one's inside. His voice shook as he screamed the words. My mother's eyes widened. She dropped her spade on the ground and headed towards us, her gait swift and clipped. I opened the car door and was immediately hit with smoldering heat. My father almost always let the air conditioning run for at least 10 minutes before putting Joey in the car, but today was different. He buckled him into his car seat despite the wails as the hot metal of the buckle touched his sensitive skin. It's too hot. I'm thirsty, he cried. We'll get you a drink when we get to the store, Dad said, a wide fake smile plastered upon his lips. I could see the fear and anger just below the surface. He looked a lot like Jack always looked, except Jack wasn't keeping him together nearly as well as Dad was at the moment he was sitting in the very back of the old station wagon his features had crumpled and he was crying silently as he stared at the house where the door could still be heard slamming furiously i don't remember being scared in that moment i could see the fear on everyone else but my mind couldn't process what was happening i sat quietly stunned unable to function or speak or even move i simply receded into myself my dad peeled out of the driveway leaving the home behind us and i think he hoped the few hours we'd be out would see everything return to normal we got ice cream first, as promised. My father bought Joey something to drink as well as a small vanilla cone. Then despite the fact that we couldn't really afford it, we went out to eat. We spent nearly three hours out before we began the long drive home. The sun was just touching the horizon as we pulled into the driveway. Joey was nodding off. Jack was still a mess in the back. Jim was trying his hardest to comfort Jack. Johnny was pissed and brooding quietly to himself while glaring death at me. I was, bu I was busy watching the home for any sign of a moving door. I saw it before it hit the car. Bang! My window cracked with the force of the heavy metal. My father swerved and nearly hit the light post. My mother shrieked. Jack burst into tears and so did Joey. I stayed motionless. The spade my mother had been using to garden earlier had come hurtling toward me. Had my window been down like it usually was, it would have likely driven straight through my skull. Dad, dad, can we please, please stay at a motel or, or can we grab the tent? Can we sleep anywhere but here? Johnny begged from the back seat. I turned around to meet his gaze. He looked like he'd aged 10 years in those few moments. His eyes were puffy and red from crying. His skin was blotchy and I didn't recognize him as my brother in those moments of terror. I don't have any money. I could hear the defeat in my father's voice as he spoke. Then the tent, Jack begged, please, dad, please, can we get the tent? There was a certain urgency to his words that I had never heard before, a kind of fear that I hadn't known existed in adults swept over him. Dad, please. Yeah, yeah, my dad answered, nodding his head. Yeah, Jackie, we can camp for the night. I'll call up Steve while we get our stuff together, see if he isn't willing to drop by and do chores for the next few days. Everyone go inside, pack up your clothes and get together the coolers, pack food that won't go bad. Grab all the bottles we have for water and fill them. His instructions were given in a way that left no room for arguments. His eyes landed on Joey. Jack, you stay out here with Joey, he instructed. Jazzy, Johnny, Jimmy, you guys all go upstairs and stay together for the love of all things holy. 
He locked eyes with Johnny. I mean it. Don't any of you go anywhere else without the others. You understand me? Mom and I will go to the basement and get the camping gear. Everyone nodded. I could see the shame on Jack's face. Not only had dad called him by his old nickname, but he'd given him the task of looking over Joey. Everyone knew it was just so he didn't have to go inside. He was so broken already. I don't think anyone trusted him to keep himself together long enough to do anything. We piled out the car and Jack grabbed Joey and set him atop the car while we all filed inside. We didn't notice the water until we got to the far end of the hallway connecting to the kitchen. There was what I thought to be a large puddle in the middle of the floor. It took until I heard the faucet to understand what had happened. The sink was on. Judging by the flooded kitchen, it had likely been on the entire time we were gone. Our shoes slipped and slid as we walked through the kitchen, looking around entirely dumbfounded. My father turned the sink off, but it didn't stop the noise. Jim was the one to peek down the side hall to the bathroom. The bathroom's flooded too, he announced. My mother burst into tears. This doesn't change anything. Get upstairs, get your stuff together, dad insisted. We fled upstairs only to find fresh puddles leading into the bathroom. Someone had plugged the drain in the sink and the tub and turned them both on. The bathroom and part of the hallway was flooded. It would be a miracle if the living room, the room directly below the upstairs bathroom, wasn't completely soaked. While we gathered our things, my father gathered the tent and camping equipment in the basement. My mother mopped. She cried the whole time. Finally, we had gathered everything and headed outside. The last noise we heard before closing the door and locking it behind us was the sound of the kitchen sink turning on. Our drive to the woods, yeah, just a few miles away, was entirely silent. We lost something that day, something so much more than a good night's sleep or the convenience of having a refrigerator and microwave at our disposal. We lost our will to fight. We lost the upper hand we'd once had. We'd lost the battle, and whatever was in our home knew it. It was for this reason that the next days passed in it haze. We went to bed, we got up, we ate, we got dressed, we sat around in the woods, we didn't speak, we ate again, we sat around silently, we ate again, we slept. This went on for three days before my dad decided he couldn't take it anymore. His fear had melted away, leaving on anger and aggression in its wake. Despite my mother's tears, Jack's pleas, and Johnny's refusal, we went back on the third night. My father insisted that we wouldn't be driven from our own home. I wish we'd just left the whole fucking place behind. The house was flooded yet again, and the wood flooring had become waterlogged and swollen. The sinks had been shut off and drained, and somehow that was more frightening than anything. We all helped my mother mop up the mess. She still cried. I wanted to sleep downstairs or in the room with Jack and Jim, but my father refused. He insisted that if we ignored this presence, if we prayed, if we acted as though nothing was wrong, it would go away. Jack didn't believe him, and he made this very evident. For the first time in my life, the night ended with screams, but it was all for naught. My father won the argument, and eventually I was sent off to bed. I don't know how, but eventually Sweet Oblivion pulled me down. Something slick and wet touched my cheek. Oh, no. Jasmine, came the whispered call. My dream world shattered, giving way to the darkness that had encompassed my room. The sun had long since died along the horizon, and the timed nightlight I had on my desk had turned off. The moon and stars were hidden behind clouds. The room was completely dark. And then it wasn't. For no discernible reason, the floor lamp across the room clicked on. Flood, light flooded the room, instantly causing me to cringe away. As I slowly blinked away the pain and tried to focus, I became very aware that something was wrong. There were small puddles in the middle of the room. At first, while I studied them, my brain wouldn't allow me to fully comprehend why this was significant. Water, puddles, footprints. Suddenly, I couldn't catch my breath. Understanding hit me all at once, and the familiar urge to vomit filled me. I opened my mouth, intent upon screaming, but I couldn't force any noise to leave me. My hands shook and my bladder emptied, hot liquid spilling down my legs and puddling beneath me, soaking into the sheets. The pungent odor immediately stung my nose, causing me to gag. It was the first time I'd had an accident in years. Bang! I had no idea what the noise was, only that it sounded like a shotgun and had happened just inches to the left of my bed. Fear gripped me tightly, forcing the breath from my lungs and filling me with a sudden need to puke. I screamed and leapt off the bed. My legs wobbled as I sped toward the doorway. Bang! The door slammed. Click. The room went dark. I spun around, my body pressed tightly against the wood of the door. I was hyperventilating, unable to take a full breath. My hands shook as I searched blindly for the light switch. I stopped dead as a new sound penetrated the pseudo-silence breathing. 
I could distinctly make out someone else breathing. Mm -hmm. With trembling hands and a new reserve to get the door open, I clicked the light on it and screamed. Dad! I shrieked as loudly as I could. My voice panicked. My heart clawed at my chest, trying to free itself from the cavity. Before me stood the person I'd managed to half convince myself had just been some sort of dream. The person I couldn't believe was responsible for the horrors that had filled the home the last few days. There David stood. Red shirt soaked and clinging to brown skin, black hair flattened against his scalp. But the most terrifying part, the reason for the desperate screams, the reason I couldn't breathe or think or even manage to cry was his eyes. They were gone, just empty sockets in their place. Dad, I shrieked a a second time. My hand went to the doorknob as I desperately tried to open it. It was locked, except my door didn't have a lock. Dad! Tears streaming down my face and I suddenly realized why Jack spent his time crying. Daddy! Frantic footfalls exploded from my parents' room. Jasmine! My dad called back, his voice wild with fear. Jasmine! Dad! I shrieked. I physically shook as my dad hit the door with all his might. Open the door, baby! He shouted, banging against it and jiggling the doorknob. What's wrong? Jack's voice came out of nowhere. David took a few slow, dangerous steps toward me, rounding the bed. His bare feet hit the ground with a sickeningly wet noise, and he left puddles with each of his steps. I sucked in a sharp breath. No, 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 I whimpered as I stumbled further away from him to the corner of my room. I curled into myself. Please leave. Please go away, David, I begged through ragged sobs. David cocked his head slowly, staring at me with empty sockets. A wicked smile spread across his lips, and he took another step forward. Daddy, I choked out through desperate sobs. Unlock the door, my dad shouted from the other side. There's no lock. Jack's words were quietly hissed. I knew they weren't meant for my ears, but I heard them all the same. There was a pause, a full two seconds of absolute silence. David took another step. My dad's furious pounding became frantic, and I could practically hear the panic behind each of the blows he dealt to the door. I molded myself against the wall, convinced I was going to die. Back up, came Jack's voice. Bang! Splintered wood showered the room as Jack's foot collided with it, forcing it open. A figure dashed into the dark room, scooped me up, pressing me against his muscular frame. I let out a quivering breath and wrapped shaking arms around my father's neck. My small face buried into his shoulder as I cried the fear and pain a way that wrapped my six-year-old body. Daddy, I said the word over and over each time. It brought with a sense it brought with it a sense of peace and safety. My father's hand rubbed my back and he allowed me a few minutes of quiet as I sobbed. Can we leave? I choked. Please, can we go camping, please? I craved the boring serenity of the forest. I needed the safety the trees offered me. I couldn't stay here anymore. No came my father's response. My heart sank. I began to wail, tears streaming down my face as I loudly begged my father to allow me to leave, but he refused. We have to ride this out, Jazzy. We can't let this thing drive us away. We can't let this ruin us. He continued to talk, but I'd stopped listening. Despair and desperation filled me to the very brim until I thought for sure I'd burst. Would you like to sleep downstairs on the couch? Jack asked, his voice soft and his features strong. He wasn't crying. He wasn't sad or frightened. He looked determined. I'm going to sleep down there. I'll stay with you through the night, he swore. My father tossed him a glare, but stayed quiet as I nodded my head rapidly. Jack pulled me into his arms and a sense of safety washed over me. Despite his many breakdowns over the course of the last few weeks, I still thought of the man as invincible. I melted into his arms and allowed him to carry me down the stairs. He pulled extra blankets from the closet with one arm because I refused to be put down. He made his bed on the couch while I curled up on the chair, and I'd initially wanted to sleep beside him, but the couch wasn't large enough. We turned on the TV and put on Aladdin, which was my favorite movie at the time, mostly because my name was in it. (laughs) Jack, who usually wouldn't have agreed to watch it, seemed happy about it, saying he needed something light to calm his nerves. Despite the fear that still wrapped me, I hadn't slept decently in nearly four days, and soon enough, exhaustion took over and I found myself fighting heavy eyelids. I dozed off around the time Jeannie started singing about being the best kind of friend. When I woke up, the TV was making a high-pitched whiny noise. A blue screen illuminated the room. The rest of the house was quiet, quiet, and I nearly sank back into sleep. Had I not heard the sharp intake of breath from the left side of the room where Jack had fallen asleep, I might have. Jack was curled up at the edge of the cows, uh, end of, oh my god, end of the couch. <laughs> the cows. His whole the cows. His whole body trembled. His eyes were wide and shiny with fresh tears. He was staring straight at me. I remember in that moment being confused, not knowing why he'd be looking at me as though I'd grown a second head. You're in my spot, Jack. 
The words were sharp and venomous. They were heavy with the promise of violence. My body stiffened. I felt as though my lungs had been deflated. My stomach lurched. Fear gripped me tightly, wrapping withering fingers around me and sucking everything but ugliness and despair away from my small body. Slowly, I turned, only for my eyes to land upon the same wet, eyeless version of the boy I'd once known. He turned to me, his lips twisting upward. Are we having a sleepover? He purred. (laughs) David reached toward me and the world seemed to slow. I willed my body to move, but it refused to obey. No, Jack's voice boomed from my left. A massive hand wrapped around my arm and tugged me out of the chair. David's face twisted with anger, but I was safely in Jack's arms. He sprinted up the stairs, me pressed tightly against his chest, must much like I had been when we'd first run from David, back when he'd been my friend instead of my monster. Jack threw open the doors to the boys' room. Up, he shouted. Get up. We're leaving. We're fucking leaving, he barked. Both the boys sat up, looking rather groggy and confused, but they did as they were told. A small shriek from the other side of the hall sent me crashing to the ground. It took me several dizzying seconds to realize that Jack had dropped me before sprinting towards Joey's room. He threw open the door. It bounced off the wall with a loud thump, causing Joey to scream louder. Jack scooped him up in his arms and headed down the hallway. The toddler never stopped screaming. Let's go, he shouted again. What the hell is going on? My father shouted above the noise and confusion as he stormed out of his room. You want to stay in this hellhole? Jack spat back, eyes narrowed in absolute disgust. You fucking do it, but I'm not staying and I'm sure as hell not leaving them, he shouted, stabbing a finger at my brothers and I. Get your shit and come with us or fucking stay here. I don't give a good, I don't give a good goddamn. My dad narrowed his eyes in anger when he opened his mouth, probably to shout back. But before he could, Jack's fist shot out. It connected with my father's jaw, sending him staggering back, and my breath caught in my throat. I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. Before my father could react, Jack shoved us forward, and we all fled, rushing down the stairs and tearing through the hallway. My father bounded after us, and he was roaring angrily, shouting something about kicking Jack's ass, but as we spilled outside and the cool air hit us, we stopped in our tracks. Johnny vomited. Fuck, my dad shouted. Fuck me, Jack hissed. Jim cried for the first time since my father had blamed him for breaking Johnny's arm, and I didn't understand what everyone was so upset about. I followed Jim's line of sight as he sobbed and wailed. There were things hanging from the trees. They swayed as the summer breeze bade them to dance, and I turned my head this way and that, trying to understand what they were. At first, I thought them to be hummingbirds hovering in the trees, until Jim croaked out the word mittens for the shape to make any sense to me. There in the tree, against the light of the moon, hung our cat and all seven of her kittens, strung up like fucking Christmas decorations, their small bodies limp and lifeless. It was the most lurid, grotesque thing I'd ever witnessed. My stomach churned, my mind went numb, I collapsed onto the ground, and I couldn't catch my breath. I puked, splattering along my legs and nightshirt. I was a fucking mess. Covered in vomit and piss, I sobbed all the way. I sobbed away the feelings of absolute terror. Get to the car, my dad shouted, but he sounded distant, as though I was hearing him from underwater. Something pushed me to my feet and pulled me toward the car. I curled into myself and sobbed the second I hit the seat. Mom and dad filed into the car soon afterward, and we sped away from that godforsaken house. There was a lot of shouting happening, but I couldn't focus long enough to understand any of it. I tried to piece together everything I knew about the situation. Mittens and her kittens were dead, and David had done it. David was dangerous. I knew this because he scared Jack and Dad, the two strongest and bravest people I knew. David was haunting us. David wasn't human. David wanted to kill me. These thoughts ran through my mind long after my father had parked a car just outside of the woods we had escaped to prior. They ran through my mind as the family tried without success to sleep in the cramped vehicle. They ran through my mind until a single word spoken in a terrifyingly familiar voice broke through the silence. Jasmine? We had been huddled in the car holding tightly to one another as we tried to cling to thoughts of safety. David shattered all that. A sense of cataclysmic doom that settled over us as we stared back at the sopping wet boy. I felt as though the ground had been pulled out from under me, as though the world were no longer real or solid. I felt wronged, destroyed, violated. It was an odd sensation, but one well-deserved, I thought. We'd found a haven, a place of safety, a home in the forest where we thought the monster that had systematically demolished our lives couldn't reach us. And yet, here he was. Standing just inches away from my window, hand on the cracked glass, empty stockets staring out at us. Uh, That's so scary. (laughs) (laughs) And that's only part two, baby. Oh my God. How will it end? 
What does he want? Uh, you gotta wait till MLK Day to find out. <laughs> I can't wait. I uh, you yeah. don't have to. I know they said like he wants to kill Jasmine, or so they mm-hmm. think. But mm-hmm. is that all? Like, why? <laughs> Seems like not. Yeah, what's going on, David? Like wanting to destroy the house. I don't know. Maybe something happened. Maybe David was alive at one point and his dad died or something and wants right. revenge. Like maybe he thinks it was their fault or mm. I don't know. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Creepy. I like that story though. It's good, isn't it? Mm. And I, I feel like this could be made into a movie like very easily. Yeah. yeah I could picture that easily. Yeah. All the very much like conjuring wet. style. Yeah. The water, yeah. the wet footprints. Mm-hmm. His red totally. T-shirt. I can see it all. Mm-hmm. Creepy. Yeah. Ooh, it gives me chills. <laughs> so creepy. I know. So creepy. Yeah. So that's it. Well, um, and that is our last episode of 2022, babies. Oh, episode 60. Oh, perfect. Some yeah. symmetry. An even number. Yeah, exactly. And we're halfway through season two, if you can believe it. Wow. Wowza. <laughs> moving right along. Um, moving right along. Um, but yeah, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We've been posting some like extra content there if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also email us your spooky stories and also any feedback on some of these new themes, aka mm-hmm. scary stories, that we've been testing out um, at girlsgonspooky at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And until next week, stay spooky. <laughs> stay spooky. Bye. Bye. <laughs>